This is Chapter Six of Mark Twain: His Life and Work, a biographical sketch by William M. Clemens. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Six: Marriage, read by John Greenman. Among those cultivated people who were passengers on the steamer Quaker City in the now memorable excursion to the Holy Land in 1867 were Judge J. L. Langdon and family of Elmira, New York. A son of Judge Langdon figures as Dan in Innocence Abroad. Miss Lizzie, a handsome and accomplished sister of Dan, was introduced to Mark Twain during the voyage outward and when the Quaker City sailed homeward, Mr. Clemens was paying deep attention to the young lady. She was somewhat of an invalid, and upon the return of the family to Elmira, her illness took a more serious form. Perhaps the proximity of Buffalo to Elmira, the home of his sweetheart, occasioned Mark's removal to the former city in the latter part of 1869, for at all events we find him there, occupying an editorial position on the buffalo express subsequently we find him making periodical visits to the neighboring city of elmira miss langdon was a young lady of position and fortune mark knew that her father did not look upon him with favor but nevertheless he acquired sufficient courage to propose and was rejected much to his sorrow well he said to the lady i didn't much believe you'd have me but i thought i'd try after a while he tried again with the same result and then he remarked with his celebrated drawl i think a great deal more of you than if you'd say yes but it's hard to bear a third time he met with better fortune and then came to the most difficult part of his task, to address the old gentleman. "'Judge,' he said to the dignified millionaire, "'have you seen anything going on between Miss Lizzie and me?' "'What? What?' exclaimed the judge rather sharply, apparently not understanding the situation, yet doubtless getting a glimpse of it from the inquiry. "'Have you seen anything?' going on between uh, miss lizzie and me no no indeed replied the magnate sternly no sir i have not well uh, look sharp and you will the judge did look sharp after that and one day he called the ardent and devoted young man into his study and said after some preamble mr clemens i have something to say to you which bears upon a subject of great importance at least to me and mine you have been coming here for some time and your manners leave no doubt in my mind as to your object now my daughter's welfare is very dear to me and before i can admit you to her society on the footing of a suitor to her hand i would like to know something more than i do about you your antecedents etc stop a minute you must remember that a man may be a, a good fellow and a pleasant companion on a voyage and all that but when it is a question as grave as this a wise father tries to take every precaution before allowing his daughter's affections to become engaged and i ask of you as a gentleman 
that you shall give me the names of some of your friends in california to whom i may write and make such inquiries as i deem necessary that is if you still desire our friendship mark put on a bold front sir said he bowing profoundly as became a young man who respects his hoped-for father-in-law your sentiments are in every way correct i approve of them myself and hasten to add that you have not been mistaken in my sentiments towards your daughter whom i may tell you candidly seems to me to be the most perfect of her sex and i honor your solicitation for her welfare i am not only perfectly willing to give you reference but am only too glad to have an opportunity to do so which my natural modesty would have prevented me from offering therefore permit me to give you the names of a few of my friends i will write them down first is lieutenant-general john mccomb alexander badlam general lander and colonel w h l barnes they will all lie for me just as i would for them under like circumstances the prospective father-in-law wrote letters of inquiry to several residents of san francisco to whom clemens referred him and with one exception the letters denounced him bitterly especially deriding his capacity for becoming a good husband mark sat beside his fiancee when the letters were read aloud by the old gentleman there was a dreadful silence for a moment and then mark stammered well that's pretty rough on a fellow anyhow his betrothed came to the rescue however and overturned the mass of testimony against him by saying i'll risk you anyhow so they were married the wedding occurring in the parlor of the langdon residence in elmira mark had instructed his friends in the newspaper office at buffalo to select him a suite of rooms in a first-class boarding-house in the city and to have a carriage at the depot to meet the bride and groom he knew that they would comply with his request and gave himself no more anxiety about it when the happy couple alighted from the train at the buffalo depot they found a handsome carriage a beautiful span of horses and a driver in livery they were driven to a handsome house on an aristocratic street and as the door was opened there were the parents of the bride to welcome them home the old folks had quietly arrived by a special train after mark had gone through the house and admired its elegant furnishings he was informed officially that he had been driven by his own coachman in his own carriage to his own house they say that the tears came to his wonderfully dark and piercing eyes and that all he could say was well this is a first-class swindle for nearly a year mr clemens was editorially connected with the buffalo express for this journal he wrote many excellent sketches among them an unburlesqueable thing a memory the widow's protest running for governor and others the rev j hyatt smith relates an amusing anecdote of mark's life in buffalo 
when i was living in buffalo says mr smith mark twain occupied a cottage across the street we did not see very much of him but one morning as we were enjoying our cigars on the veranda after breakfast we saw mark come to his door in his dressing-gown and slippers and look over at us he stood at his own door and smoked for a minute as if making up his mind about something and at last opened his gate and came lounging across the street there was an unoccupied rocking-chair on the veranda and when my brother offered it to him he dropped into it with a sigh of relief he smoked for a few moments and said nice morning yes very pleasant shouldn't wonder if we had rain by and by well we could stand a little this is a nice house you have here yes we rather like it how's your family quite well and yours oh we're all comfortable there was a another impressive silence and finally mark crossed his legs blew a puff of smoke in the air and in his lazy drawl remarked i suppose you're a little surprised to see me over here so early fact is i haven't been so neighborly perhaps as i ought to be we must mend that state of things but this morning i came over because i thought you might be interested in knowing that your roof is on fire it struck me that it would be a good idea if but at the mention of fire the whole family hurried upstairs when we had put the fire out and had returned to the veranda mark wasn't there some years later when mr clemens was lecturing in buffalo after being introduced to the audience he spoke as follows in his low drawling characteristic manner i notice many changes since i was a citizen of buffalo fourteen or fifteen years ago i miss the faces of my old friends they have gone to the tomb to the gallows to the white house thus far the rest of us have escaped but be sure our own time is coming over us with awful certainty hangs one or the other of these fates therefore that we be secure against error the wise among us will prepare for them all this word of admonition may be sufficient let us pass to cheerfuller things i remember one circumstance of bygone times with great vividness i arrived here after dark on a february evening in eighteen seventy with my wife and a large company of friends when i had been a husband twenty-four hours and they put us two in a carriage and drove us up and down and every which way through all the back streets in buffalo until at last i got ashamed and said i asked mr slee to get me a 
cheap boarding house, but I didn't mean he should stretch economy to the going outside the state to find it. The fact was there was a practical joke to the fore, which I didn't know anything about, and all this fooling around was to give it time to mature. My father-in-law, the late Jervis Langdon, whom many of you will remember, had been clandestinely spending a fair fortune upon a house and furniture in Delaware Avenue for us, and had kept his secret so well that I was the only person this side of the Niagara Falls that hadn't found it out. We reached the house at last about ten o'clock, and were introduced to a Mrs. Johnson, the ostensible landlady. I took a glance around, and then my opinion of Mr. Slee's judgment as a provider of cheap boarding-houses for men who had to work for their living dropped to zero. I told Mrs. Johnson there had been an unfortunate mistake, that Mr. Slee had evidently supposed I had money, whereas I only had talent. And so, by her leave, we would abide with her a week, and then she could keep my trunk and we would hunt another place. Then the battalion of ambushed friends and relatives burst in on us, out of closets and from behind curtains. The property was delivered over to us, and the joke revealed. Such jokes as these are all too scarce in a person's life. That house was so completely equipped in every detail, even to servants and a coachman, that well, there was nothing to do but just sit down and live in it. In the fall of 1870 Mr. Clemens resigned his position on the Buffalo Express and took his residence in Hartford, Connecticut. He had received several large sums of money as royalty on his Innocents Abroad, and this, together with his wife's funds, were invested in local corporations, mostly insurance companies. During the winter following, he wrote Roughing It, and early in 1871 the book was published. The volume awakened fully as much interest as Innocents Abroad. It is a humorous record of his life in the mining regions, and is replete with adventure, tragedy, and comedy. The writing of Roughing It was inspired, according to Mark's confession, by the stimulating use of tobacco, a luxury which he never denied himself even in his days of poverty. In speaking upon this point he once said, I began smoking immoderately when I was eight years old. That is, I began with one hundred cigars a month, and by the time I was twenty I had increased my allowance to two hundred a month. Before I was thirty I had increased it to three hundred a month. Once, when I was fifteen, I ceased from smoking for three months, but I do not remember whether the effect resulting was good or evil. I repeated 
this experiment when I was twenty-two. Again, I do not remember what the result was. I repeated the experiment once more when I was thirty-four and ceased from smoking for a year and a half. My health did not improve, because it was not possible to improve health that was already perfect. As I never permitted myself to regret this abstinence, I experienced no inconvenience from it. I wrote nothing but occasional magazine articles during pastime, and as I never wrote one except under strong impulse, I observed no lapse of facility. But by and by I sat down with a contract behind me to write a book of five or six hundred pages, the book called Roughing It, and then I found myself seriously obstructed. I was three weeks writing six chapters. Then I gave up the fight, resumed my three hundred cigars, burned the six chapters, and wrote the book in three months without difficulty. End of chapter six. Read by John Greenman.